This morning we will be in Luke chapter 17, continuing on. We'll be starting in verse 20. And um, we've kind of been looking at the big picture of the last couple chapters here. And, and we've seen kind of the overview of how, uh, as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus, you go from salvation and how that walk looks all the way up into service. And kind of the last week, the, the real application of just service and worship with the ten leopards and the one returning. And so we'll be in Luke chapter 17, picking it up in verse 20. And um, there, there are a couple things here that are uh, some theological debated things we'll cover, but, not, but we don't want to get away from the main point of what Jesus is speaking about and talking about here and not get sidetracked. So let's pray this morning for the word. God, we just thank you, Father, for who you are. And that you are a loving, caring Father and you are faithful. And that we can just come and we can sit at your feet and that we can come freely and call you Father, that you've opened that door. And we just want to meet with you this morning, that you would just continue to guide us, love us, direct us, Father. Make us as men, change us into your likeness, that we can be a clear reflection of you to our children. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's the kind of big picture, but the bigger picture, if you would, is Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way to the triumphal entry. He's on his way to the cross and then his resurrection. And so this time is coming and he's traveling that way. And so he kind of starts to begin and talk about some of these end things. And so after this incident and, and he's been teaching through if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Tony's still standing back there. Do you need a Bible? Raise your hand. Then we're good. Oh. So as, as you're standing there and, and he's gone through and the, you saw the leopards come and stuff, it says in verse 20, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And so now they're asking, when this, when's the kingdom of God coming? They're kind of coming up and they're really coming against him. And so this morning, we're going to see kind of Jesus answer when, in, when and where is the kingdom of God now, and when and where is it going to come again? Because many times in scriptures, as we go through and you look at it, you see two scriptures that, that seem to almost contradict each other, or did at the time in the Old Testament, about Jesus Christ. You have the suffering sacrifice the Lamb of God coming to take away the sins of the world, and you have the return of the line of Judah who's going to judge the world in sin and come back and rule and reign. And at this point, these Pharisees have come, and they are wanting to see their mind of a Messiah who's going to come and rule and reign. It was thought that Jesus, the Messiah, would come. He would call down fire from heaven like Elisha, take up and burn up the Roman garrisons and take over and set up a ruling power. So Jesus coming on the scenes and doing these miracles are great, but it's not the miracles they were looking for or wanted. They're like, okay, you're healing people. Obviously, you've got power. And now they're kind of calling him out, if you would, saying, hey, if you're the Messiah, when's this kingdom of God coming? If you're it, show it. Come on, prove it. Let's, let's do this. You say you're the guy? Fine. Prove it. And so this is their attitude kind of coming to them. And so as we go through this, we're going to look at that. And so that's kind of 
their understanding and what they were looking at at that time for the kingdom of God and Messiah. Now, we kind of come into the same um, situation here when we look at Jesus' second coming. There are scriptures that say we are taking up like a thief in the night unexpectedly and we're out of here. Then there are scriptures that say when he, when he returns, they are fearing and trembling under rocks and hiding from him. So how are you hiding from somebody you don't know that's coming? It, it starts this, you start to see scriptures and if you were to ask Jesus, well, you know, if you were to ask Jesus, are you the Lion of Judah? You would have said yes. Are you the Lamb that's going to be sacrificed? Yes. It's just they didn't understand the full picture and the timing in God's plan. And as he started to reveal it, and more after it was revealed, we can look back and look at the Old Testament and go, oh yeah, of course it's obvious. And I believe very much with end times prophecy, post-trib, mid-trib, um, quarter-trib, three-quarters and a fifth trib, a trib, you know, post-trib, pre-wrath, all these things, we're probably all wrong to begin with, okay? And the reason, man, killed that too. And the reason we're all wrong, simply put, is it, in, in the sense of that's not his heart. That's not what, if he wanted to make that clear, it can stay down. And we don't need it until next Sunday. So, And so if, if we wanted to make it clear, he could have easily made things clear. You look at the temple. When they're building the temple, he's talking about how many hinges. No spiritual application. It was going to be a heavy door. They needed three hinges. You know, he's talking about the decoration. He could have made all this clear, and he, he didn't because that wasn't his heart. His heart was to be ready. And so when we go through these scriptures, if you were a pre-trib, that means where you believe you're going to get raptured out before the seven seals are entered, before the Antichrist shows up at the middle of three and a half years, the 77 thing, and you, you can look into those things and believe God's going to rapture us before he comes back. Or, you know, some people believe mid-trib in the middle after the first three years and some of the seals are loosed when the antichrist stands up in the temple in jerusalem that should be built at that point point so after three and a half years or after a point it's going to be built he's going to make a peace treaty ever the world's going to be all happy with israel until he stands up the antichrist and declares himself god in the temple and the jewish people freak out they believe okay that's mid-tribulation we get raptured then and then you have some that believe no well even after that the other three and a half years and then before God's wrath, the point out of God's wrath, which they believe is a separate deal, the seventh seal, right before that, we get raptured out then. So that's post-trib, pre-wrath. And then you have ones that believe we're going to go through it all and we're going to get to heaven. There isn't a rapture or a taking out in that sense. And so those, those are three views. I, I definitely hold to one end and view based on what I see in Scripture. But all three views aren't important ultimately to being ready. He wanted us to be ready. And so as we read through, you, you can kind of see, and, and I'm going to let you come to that own, your own conclusion based on the Word of God here on that as we go over the Scripture. But when you look at it and we look at these things, the more important thing is to be ready. And, and so that will be a little later. We're going to look at the future return. But for now, let's look at the now, right? He said, now, he said to those Pharisees, the kingdom of God, or when the kingdom of God would come. And he answered and he said to them, Okay? The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Observation, and these two scriptures are, are the, both these next verses have words that are hard to translate into English from Greek. One is hard, this word observation is a hard word because it's not just observation. It is like an interrogation or like a, the study of. I, I guess the thought would be like observation in political maneuvering. Okay? 
like if you had a political candidate or you had a political agenda and you were studying the situation and you're trying to find the best candidate to make that happen, it's kind of got that intent. It doesn't happen by observing these things in a sense. It's not going to come through finding the right guy like the Pharisees wanted. We're going to find the right guy, promote the right guy because we want God's guy and these things are going to happen. It doesn't come through that. And, and so they were looking for this earthly kingdom, something they could see, something they could grasp, something they're, they're going to do externally, right? And, and so there's that. And then this next verse here where we're going to look at, verse 21, I think the interpretations, I think, is pretty right on. It's just it doesn't fit well into our culture with the New Age movement because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like, you know, when you hear the term, you'll see, you'll, you kind of go there with them, right? So he's calling them out. And he's there, and so they're looking for this earthly kingdom and stuff, and he says, you're not going to see it. It's not observation. It's not something, it's not a political agenda. It's not a, a certain political party that's going to arise, okay? And it said, nor will they say to him, right, see here or see there. You're not going to say, oh, look, this is what's happening. This is the guy, you know, in that sense. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, that seems very new agey, right? God is within us all. But it didn't say God is within us all, did it? It said the kingdom of God is within you. And when you slow down and you look at that, I have no problem with that, you know? And when it talks about, do you see here and do you see there? There are all kinds of false messiahs that came before Jesus. There was like 46 that I can think of that were recorded between the Old and the New Testament that came before Jesus. There was many guys that were calling themselves the Messiah, and I think that's continued through every age. There's a Korean Jesus, by the way, moonshine, and there's people all over the world worshiping him as the second return of Christ. Even now, I mean, from David Koresh to big followings, to little followings, um, to the Kool-Aid guy, all, all the, I mean, there's people that are following the second return, so it's important to know scripture, but it's also important to understand where it's at. What they were looking for wasn't something that was going to be external in the sense. It's not that God's dwelling you in you, but it is the kingdom of God. And so as we look at that, if, if I was to say, when you think of a kingdom, what do you think of? And men in here are thinking, my house is my palace. I'm thinking of my certain chair, and I sit there, and how my servants should come. And so you're there in your chair, and then the king walks in, your wife, and tells you to take out the trash. No, um, just got to get the hierarchy right. No, but no, we're not talking like that. But you look at the fact of a kingdom has a king, right? And if the kingdom of God is in you, who's the king? There should be King Jesus ruling in your life. I have no problem with saying the kingdom of God is in you. It's something that God is going to set up internally in us. There isn't a temple. After Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, we don't go to a temple. This building's a building. There's, it, it has no special sanctity or anything else. There's nothing, you know, we use it for God's purpose, makes it sanctified. The last building we were in, what happened at the parties of the event center the night before that we had to clean up definitely was not a sanctified building. We were just happy to get the smell out. 
by Sunday morning if we accomplished it. You know, there wasn't anything sanctified about a place or anything. The kingdom of God dwells in our heart and in his people and filling of the Holy Spirit, he dwells in our lives. And that's what he's telling them is, you guys are looking for something external. And he wasn't telling them, sitting there going, oh, you know, you guys are obviously godly men or the kingdom was dwelling in them, but everything they needed for the kingdom of God to happen is within you. God has done the work on the cross, right? What do you have to do? Do we have to go take over political power, overthrow a government, set up a political thing, run an election? No. To be in the kingdom of God, you don't have to go across any borders, any walls, anything like that. There's only one battle that happens, and it's between you and God, and you have to surrender. That's the only battle that happens in our lives for God to be king, and, and sometimes with many of us continue to happen, arguments we have, is over our heart and who's going to be the Lord of our heart? Who's going to rule our lives in that sense? And so he's telling them this, which is, you know, it's not a place. You guys are focusing on the wrong thing. You know, and another, I think the NIV translated, you know, God is in your midst. He's standing in front of you, you know. Here they're looking for the kingdom of God, and here Jesus is, and it was such a simple thing, but they were looking for something else. They weren't looking for a relationship. They weren't looking for this. They were looking for benefit and prosperity from this world and the things of this world. And, and many times, you know, you look at, the Old Testament and the history of the Jewish nation, how did God show up? He showed up in power and lightning bolts, and he took out the enemy, and they all got around, you know, and they followed, and they broke the lamps, and all these people died, and the angel of the Lord stood up and slayed, and they, you know, many times God showed up in a real way and took out a whole other nation, right? Cleared the nation. So it wasn't a crazy thought by the Pharisees' mind going, we're waiting for a Messiah to come up, and wipe out the Roman garrisons and free us, you know, and we'll be able to worship again and set up the temple and do all, you know, everything we want. We'll have political control again. We'll be back to the days of Solomon. And so it wasn't a, a scary, uh, far off thought, but they didn't understand the heart of God and what God was doing. They weren't ready for him. They were ready for what they wanted. And so there was a lordship issue, what they wanted, what they desired compared to what God desired in their lives. And many times when we come to the Lord, that's really what it comes down to. We can sit there and we go, yes, we want God to be king. That's one step. And the other step is realizing, though, you need a king. You need a savior. You need to be changed. You know, you can't, can't do it on your own. And he's not going to come into your life and fit your expectations. You're going to have to surrender. And that a, a, can be a huge battle in a life. Well, I remember sitting down with a young man in our home, and as we talked about it and he understood it, man, a couple times we had shared and go, hey, you see this problem arising. You know this problem, what this is. You need to surrender and let, just let Jesus. And the battle that went on was so vivid, so obvious in him. Back and forth, back and forth, and at a point when he finally just surrendered. I mean, he could sit there and go, yes, I know I should have Jesus in my heart and my Lord and say, yes, 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 I need to. Okay, do you want to pray and ask Jesus to do it? No. Do you understand why you need to do this? Yes, I understand 100%, but I'm not going to. Do you want to do it? Yep. So do you want to pray? Nope. It was... Ah, you know, come on, pray and accept Christ so you can be a good child in our home so it's easier. No, 
Sorry, that was a thought, actually. But you see this, and you see this battle, and that is the ultimate battle. It's not a kingdom. It's not anything. That battle is going to happen within us and in our heart. So don't, you know, like I said again, that new age thought of God is in us and God is in you. You just got to find your inner God. No, it's a kingdom, and your inner God, you need a murder and let Jesus take over, okay? So there's your new the- age theology, Tim Way. And so we see this, and, and this battle that's going on, and what he's saying here and he's telling them, and then in verse 22, he turns and starts to talk to his disciples, and then he said to his disciples, the day will come when you will desire to see me, or see one of the days of the sons of man, and, and that's kind of referring to the line of Judah, right? When you, when you desire to see me ruling and reigning and coming, and they did. The, the 12 disciples didn't get this all the way along. It wasn't just the Pharisees. You know, remember, they're sitting there arguing about who gets to be on his right and left hand. i like, hey, when you come and then, you know, they're, they're thinking we're going up to Jerusalem and we're going to kick out the Pharisees and we're going to start leading this thing, you know. And, and the Pharisees are probably going, yeah, you got these fishermen and who are you? Yeah, you better bring fire and stuff. You're going to kick us out, you know. Not, 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 you know, they weren't called the apostles, right? They should have been called the B apostles or C apostles or third string apostles. I mean... They wouldn't have been the people we would have picked, right? But you see it, and so, and it says, and you will not see it. And then they will say to you, look here and look there. Do not go after them or follow them. And ever since Jesus died on the cross in a second coming, there's been false prophets right away. Boom, false prophets. One of the first one was Muhammad. Muhammad came in and said, I'm the return of Christ. And the Christian said, nope. So then he went to the Jews and said, I'm the first coming to the Messiah. <laughs> that's where he went with it, you know. And you look at it, and so from day one, it's there, and he goes, hey, don't, don't be looking for these things, okay? Because he gets into the second coming. What should we expect? What should you see? What is it going to look like at the same time? Is he going to come in a manger again? Is he going to come lowly? No, we're going to see the lion come. We're going to see a king returning. Not coming lowly, not coming as a servant, but the king returning. So we see the future, if you would, the future view of it, uh, his return. In verse 24, it says, For as lightning flashes out of one part of heaven and shines into another part of heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his, in, in his day. So the day that he's coming back to rule and reign, it's going to be a lightning flash like from heaven, right? And you think about, I don't know, if you guys have ever been out in the desert, some areas in Texas and place, when you see a lightning storm, and you, and you especially don't have the Central Valley air, and you can see it for a while, there's nobody in the valley that didn't see that. And then besides the thunder that comes after, boom, you know what I mean? It lights up the whole sky. Can you think of anything that would have been more evident to every person in that day and age? No, that would be the, nobody's missing it. Right? If a storm's off the horizon and, you know, you don't have the weather channel or any of that, boom, you're paying attention when that happens. Where's the storm coming? Where's the wind? What do we got to take care of and get in? Right? And so that was what's going on. I mean, it would be, I guess you could say, what happens when, you know, the, you know, you get that, that tone and the government comes on your phone? It'd be like that. Maybe you'd use that comparison today. You know, you're, when, when your emergency broadcast system comes on is what's going to happen. And so you'll know I'm coming because that will turn on. And everybody's phones and everything else will go off and say, you know. And that's what he's talking about. He goes, you're not going to miss it. It's going to be evident. Nobody's going to question it. And even when we look in Tim's in the Revelation, nobody questions if there's a God, if there's a thing they're cursing him, 
which just baffles me. Here you have God returning. You see all these judgments. You see all this. And they're cursing his return. They're cursing him. They're against him. But he says, hey, my return is going to be evident. You're not going to miss it. You will know that I'm coming. And in verse 25, it says, but, he kind of pauses here, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So here I come, he goes, you're not going to miss this day. You're going to see the lion. And then he gets back to the lamb and goes, but first there's the lamb. First, I'm going to have to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by this generation. And why must he suffer? Why must he suffer? Because we need a Savior. There's a cost for sin. I must restore you. You know, it's a simple thing to read over real quick, right? First, I must suffer. That had to be very disconcerting to the disciples. Could you imagine your loved one coming up to you and saying, hey, I'm going to be suffering? It's not the thing you want to hear. You don't want to hear, the, you know, whatever it is. You don't want to hear they got cancer. You don't want to hear, hey, this is what's going to be happening. It grips you and, and, and rips your heart out. And at the same time, he's doing it. Why? It's the only way to restore him. As you go through the Bible, as you see him praying in the garden in Gethsemane, if there be any way, other way. No, he was going to suffer and die. You see God the Father in that situation giving his son to us, for us. He's going to allow the suffering in his life that we could be redeemed, that we could need a Savior. He's going to suffer because we need a Savior. And when you slow down and you sit there and you realize, hey, I need a Savior. And it doesn't take very long for most of us in our lives to be sitting in the king role in our hearts and ruling it to see the destruction we've caused to realize we need a Savior. To see the damage we've caused and seeing we need a Savior. The amazing thing is because he suffered and died for us, those things can be washed away. The Bible says he's forgiven our sin as far as the east is from the west. So if you're a flat earther, I don't know what that means. I am so glad he didn't say from the north or the south, right? Because you can measure that. Once you start going north, you have to go south. But I guess God knew the earth was round. Only unless you disagree with me. And we will not talk about that later. I'll pray for you. But um, you look at these things and you, you just realize how to grasp that. i got to suffer first for us. Because you need a savior because of your sin, I'm going to lay my life down. You talk about a loving act. And as a father, I don't know, what would you give your son for? You know, would you give up your child for anybody in here? And you slow down and you think of how much of a loving father we had and, he, and how Jesus was willing. Joy, it was the joy of the cross to bring us. Not into condemnation, not into to judgment, but to free us from sin. And, and what an amazing thing that is. And as you sit there and you think that, he goes, hey, I'm, I'm going to first go through this. Before I come back and judge, I'm first going to give everybody the opportunity to be called my children, to be sons and daughters of God, to have the same inheritance as I've been given from the Father. And so you see that lamb here. And then we're going to see the lion, right? The future. He's come back in the lightning. 
And so we come up to this next section and he starts to talk about the future. What is going to come? So this is what's got to happen now. This is what's right out the horizon. But when I do come back, verse 26, he switches. And again, you have a pre-trib view. So if you've not been in the church or understand, pre-tribulation is, okay, we're going to get raptured out. And then there's going to be seven seals that are loose. One is going to be the Antichrist will make a, a covenant and an agreement. And there will be a time where he's ruling and reigning and, and, and stuff up. And it will be a time of peace for three and a half years. In that time of peace, and though, there's going to be seals that are going to be loose. There's going to start to be famines. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be problems. quarter of the earth's going to die. It's going to get hair, horrible. He stands up and declares himself to be God in the temple, Right? And for the first time when that happened, when he first stands up, for the first time in world history, all these religions are going to get together in one. That's scary, right? But you look at the Pope we have today. Well, we're all basically the same religion. We all come from the same place. I mean, I was, um, we went on a, a pastor's retreat thing and we went up to a mission up above Martinez. And the mission's there. And they have works of art and, you know, there are little things around because it's a Catholic mission that we just borrow for the day. And um, on their one placard, though, one of the new pieces of art they have up in the hall is all the world's religions. All the world's religions on one thing. And in the middle it says, we all love. We're all the same. I'm thinking you have all these statues of Mary and all these things in there. They're big, new. Where they're going is we're all equal. Every religion's up there, you know, and they consider those themselves the Christian religion. So if you want to, we're just we're not on there, thank God. But um, but you sit there and you look at it and you just go, wow, I can I can see where that's going. And so that time will come. And when that time hits, there's going to be the mid-tribers think we get raptured out there. Then you have post-trib that believe we get raptured out at the end. Some are pre-wrath, you know, like God's wrath is you know poured out. But as we look at these next scriptures here, I want you to be thinking of that. Does God pull us out before judgment? Before, I mean, if we start seeing seals unloose, right? And just this is my thought process of going, okay, if I, we either get raptured out just like any other day. We don't know what's coming. Somehow pre-rapture means life's going on. Right now we have everything lining up to be raptured. The stage is set enough, in my opinion, world history, you know, 10 years we might look back and go, oh, that had a fall into place, yeah. Or after we might go, oh, those things weren't lined up. But as far as Israel being back in the land, the technology to do a mark of the beast and the world stage and, you know, Israel and the, you know, being able to rebuild the temple will probably be part of that peace treaty. If it's not built first, it could be built from him making that agreement because you look at all the world and what are they fighting over in Israel? a little spot of dirt where the temple was, where the mosque is built, so we can't build it there. So maybe they'll find another foundation and go, oh, the real temple was over here, or whatever peace treaty will be broken to do that. Maybe they'll decide to share it, which nobody would think, right? The Muslims and the Jews, oh, we'll build the temple together. That's possible, you know? But you see the stage being more set in, than any time in history. Economics, the government, and, and you look at these things, and, and I'm sure... As you look back, we're not the first generation to do that, and there's nothing wrong in doing that because the Bible repeats, be ready, be ready, be ready. If he says anything about his return, it's to be ready. Be ready to go at any moment, and we'll see that this morning as well. But even his disciples, the original 12, 
we're ready to go. They thought he was returned was imminent, that he was coming soon. And so, you know, and, and as we look back, we go, oh, the stage has to be set, this has to be back in place, and we're thinking all these things. Well, they thought it was ready and good enough to go then. So as we sit and we look at those things, and you go, okay, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, look with me at verse 26, and it says, as in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate and they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, what's really interesting about this with the time of Noah is there's a man building an ark saying God's judgment's coming. So even if you disagreed with him, you could say at least he believed it, right? And actually, could you imagine they used to get around and mock him? Like, hey, look at the guy. Okay, this is a Sunday we go all out and mock this guy building the boat, you know? And I was looking up, so anywhere from 55 to 75 years it took him to build it. It's a long time. He lived five plus hundred years, or six plus hundred years. And so people were living a long time, but could you imagine if there was a guy standing on the corner for 55 years with a sign that says, God's returning soon. At what point would you be like, yeah, that's the guy that stands on the corner and just be common knowledge, and would anybody believe it? And I think probably that's what happened. At first, people went, oh, no, and then after a while, I go, yeah, he's been saying that for years. Nothing's happening, you know. In the scripture, it's kind of interesting, though. It says, God gave man 120 years. Most, some people have thought that meant that after the flood, men weren't going to live more than 120 years old. And there's even been some people, oh, look, we got a document in the case that somebody lived to 122 years old. See, the Bible's wrong. No, what you actually look at scripture, what seems to make more sense is, no, he said, you got 120 more years until I wipe out the earth, until the flood comes. The, 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 this time of man's going to end in 125 years. So he built the ark, getting the animals in, getting the supplies and all this. So at, at some point you would think, though, as you see the thing getting finished and they're loading it, you'd be like, hey, maybe it's time to go talk to this guy, you know. But what's, what's scary about the ark, and this is what's scary about it. You know, we have our, our pictures in Sunday school that do not do it justice. You've got this little boat with all these animals hanging out. Not even close. Okay, Ken Han did a real good job in, in talking about DNA breeding and that you only had a, two kinds of a dog. You didn't have to have all the breeds, and we can DNA track that. The ark wasn't even full. wasn't even one-third full. It's huge. They built the replica out in Kentucky. I'd love to go see. I don't know when I'd ever get back there. But it, it was huge. It's not this little thing. And it is so well designed that the measurements of the ark far as how wide you want to make a ship, how long you want to make a ship, how tall you want to make a ship is exactly what we use for the safest ships on the water today. That's the best thing to put in the ocean. And actually a, a Japanese guy took those measurements and started applying it and they built the first ships. Our cargo ships are all based on those parameters. You want, compared to this length, compared to this height, compared to this, this is the best way to build a boat. I wonder why, because God designed it. You know, just a thought, you know, not fairy tales in Sunday school about the Bible with perfect engineering in them. You know, that's how my fairy tales all. They all have perfect engineering, flawless from God in them. No, you know. So you look at this, and you see this situation, and people are going about their daily lives. They're getting married, they're given in marriage, until that day, until that day, until it was happening. And, and it says, Noah didn't close the, the door on the ark, God sealed it. 
Boom, right? And what you see here, though, is you have Moses and his family in there, judgment coming, and before the judgment comes, what? Noah and his family are sealed. They're taken care of. They're pulled out of the way, right? They're set aside, and they're taken. And so you can see all the days and the mocking that would have gone on. And then likewise, it says in verse 30, uh, 28, it says, Likewise, also as the days of Lot, they ate and they drank and they brought, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So their lives were going on not as normal, in a, I, yet as normal, but as in normal wickedness, not as in normal. I mean, the city was corrupt. I mean, you read about the, just the, the way they wanted to, you know, they wanted to rape the men that were coming into the house, and that was common, and the, the sin that abounded in that area. What, what's sad is that, you know, Lot was choosing to live in that area. It cost him dearly with his wife and, and losing her in the end. And you see this, and now you have this example of there's no preparation. Noah had a lot of preparation, right? A lot of work, a lot of preparation. Lot is told, get up, grab your stuff, grab those people, and get out. You need to leave. And, and so it was immediate. There wasn't this warning. There wasn't even a warning to the whole area of Sodom of repenting. It was judgment was coming in time. But the judgment still didn't happen until what? Until God removed Lot, the righteous people, his people, from that situation, and then the judgment came. And so we have both those examples he gives here. And in verse 30 it says, Even so it will be in the days of the Son of Man is revealed. So this time is going to come, and it's going to be the same as these. And so if you say, okay, in the same thing as these, in the same vein is, we see God's people getting pulled out before judgment. Okay, and people want to go, okay, well, that's, you have this kind of, this view, and I haven't studied up on it too much, but, you know, it's post-pre-wrath, because one of the biggest arguments about post-tribulation is, hey, we're not pointed under God's wrath, and when they go, okay, well, we believe the great tribulation, but God's wrath doesn't come until after the great tribulation, and so therefore we're not under God's wrath, so that argument isn't there. But even with that, when you slow down and you look, okay, and we're going to look, I think he clarifies it a little more and adds to that as we continue the scripture. So the seven seals, the first seven seals, right, is this, this great, this treaty the Antichrist is going to make. And I don't know about any of you guys, I don't follow the news every day. I catch glimpses here and there. My wife doesn't. She probably gets less than I do, right? Just too many things unimportant going on all over the world. But I guarantee you, if the world religions got together and were signing a peace treaty, People are going to be celebrating. There is going to be a great, oh, we're all togetherness type deal, right? I don't think we're going to miss that. And then when suddenly that changes in this warfare, this great warfare, this famine, famine, and then the third seal, you talk about, um, I believe it's the third seal, yeah, pestilence that's going to come out and you get one third of the world's, uh, or one quarter of the world's population starts to die. No, that's a sixth seal. All these things are going to go on. Six seal, no, excuse me. Six seal is the stars and the heavens falling. Okay? So when you start freaking out because there's asteroids hitting the earth, I think we're going to miss that. If you're a believer here, how aren't you going to miss that? You're going to be ready for the return of God, right? You'd think, okay, so we're going to be ready. Now, I don't have a problem. 
Lot knew it was coming, right? Moses knew it was coming. So you see the righteous people are prepared for it. So you go, okay, I could see post-tribulation, pre-wrath there because we're ready, right? We're believers. But later on, you're going to see like, no, wait a minute. There's one guy here, one guy there. And you don't, the people getting saved aren't, aren't any more aware of the people that weren't when it happened. And so my, my concern with the post-trib thing is like, we're missing a lot if you didn't know it was coming, right? If I sat down this morning and said, okay, we know even three and a half years from now, Jesus is coming back. How many of you guys would be going to any single people in here would be looking on a dating website, wanting to have kids, getting drink? How many of you guys would start a housing project and build a house? God's returning in three and a half years. Who wants to build a house? If you've never built a house, the permit process and everything else, no, you're not going to be... I don't waste time doing that. I'm going to sell my house, take the equity out, and rent for three and a half years. <laughs> Use that unrighteous mammon for eternity. No. I mean, there's a lot of things, right? It's like this last guy, I don't forget, was it 2017 blood moons and all this, right? He, he was paying his house off. With the money he got, he paid his house off. That told me he didn't believe in anything he was saying. I'm sorry, why would I pay my house off if I'm going to be raptured? I'd be using that money for other things, right? I would maybe take out a second on my house. I'm not going to have to pay it back. I'm not going to be here. That's just me. There's a lot of things like that that were going on in this man's life that just didn't line up, you know? It's all going to burn. It's not like I'm burning the bank for more than three and a half years. I mean, anyways. But you sit there. That's just me. I'm carnal. But you look at that and you go, okay, so where does this line up? And so as it continues in verse 31, it says, In that day he who is on his housetop and his goods are in the house let him not come down and take them away and likewise the one who is in the field let him not turn back and so this says hey if you're up on your rooftop and that day comes don't you're not going to run in your house and go get your stuff if you're at work you're not running home to get your supplies and, and what it is is it, it it's not really the fact that when that day of wrath when the day of the lord comes we're going to have to run free for our lives in that sense because this is more talking about your heart condition. When you talk about being ready, and it, it, it's brought out really clear here in one simple, and they made it one little verse, remember Lot's wife. That, that puts this in perspective, because some would go, wait a minute, that's not like a thief in the night. If you know the return of Christ is coming, you're not supposed to even go get your stuff, or you're not supposed to go home first. Well, obviously. So if that's your argument, the next verse will even cause you more problems. But if we remember Lot's wife, what was her issue? They were cruising out a town. They were almost there. They're almost at the gate of where they're supposed to go. And she looked at Lot and said, I forgot our silverware. I got to go get... No, she longed. It was a hard issue. Even though she knew judgment was coming, she was looking at it and she missed it. And, and it was her heart that caused judgment. Her heart, no matter, she wasn't ever leaving Sodom. She might have been physically out of it, but her heart's condition was there. And what a sad thing to where she could recognize judgment was coming, willing to leave, willing to almost make it there, but her heart was not going to give up. And it's just kind of like the young man who was in our room with us when me and Heidi were praying with him, right there, could totally understand, could sit there and go, I know God's real, I know these things, but I can't pray that. I won't pray that. I just, you know, 
and, and praise God at a point, he got to that point and passed it, and I'm, and I'm waiting to see God's faithfulness in his life. But you sit there and you look at that and how sad that it is, and that's the example. Remember Lot's wife. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have been to Israel. In the Dead Sea, they have these salt pillars, right? And they, they've claimed that this one's Lot's wife or that one's Lot's wife. I have bad news for you. At the time of Christ, okay, to over 2,000 years ago, at the time of Christ, what does he say? Remember Lot's wife. Not see Lot's wife. I don't think that's her. Sorry, tourist traction just went downhill. You know what I mean? If it was, oh, yeah, go look over, go, he could have said, right? Go look at Lot's wife. Remember her? No, go look at, no. He said, remember, so she's not around anymore. There's an pillar of salt, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. So you look at it, though, and you see it, and so it's a sad thing. Her heart was on those things, you know, and in that day when something comes, your valuables aren't important. What is important? When you go and that, that moment comes, we are to be ready. Our hearts are to be ready. The day a judgment was coming, Lot's wife's heart was not ready. And, and really, that's the point when Jesus says, be ready. I'm coming for you. Be ready. Have your heart ready. It, it is hard sometimes to see and the choices we make and God's grace is there. Definitely God's grace. But as men, have your hearts ready. If there is anything that Noah was concerned about to bring with him was what? His family. What was Lot's concerned? His family. Right? How many men have I seen dying on their deathbed, and their concern is their family. And I've seen them many times hold on to life, fight to stay alive, not to stay alive, not that they're unsure of their salvation, but for their family. And, it, I mean, it, it's as real as it gets. There's, there's a man that's attended this fellowship. He's, he is at home now. The, the surgeries didn't work. He's had several types of cancer. He is now at home because it is, it's hopeless for him to be in the hospital. He is in his last days. His children are caring for him. And ever since the day he came to this church, his concerns about his kids and their salvation. And as we sit there and I talk, his concern, and he's holding on, because of his kids and where they're at. And so we prayed with him. Me and Pat met with him, prayed with him. And even when he's in and out, you know, joyful that we're there, we're there to talk to his kids. He, you know, I won't play, play Christian songs, play worship, play teaching. I want my kids to know the truth. And so in your life, be ready. There is nothing within a house, without your work, anywhere else that is more important than that. So there's your Father's Day, buck up men, and be men of God. Make sure your household's in ready. Make sure, take the time to make sure your kids are solid rooted in the truth of God's word, because that's the only thing that's going to matter. You know, and even for this man just praying with him, just to sit and remind him, because there are times, and there are times it's, you know, you might go, well, that's my, my child's passed away, 
or I've blown that. One thing I can say with confidence that I could share with him is God loves him way more than you could ever. No matter how much he thinks he could do or try to do, God loves his children more than you can. God loves your kids more than you can. So do what God calls you to do and trust God with the rest of it. You can only... God's grace. Definitely God's grace. But the application for the moment going forward would be due. And it's not to go take the word of God and, you guys better all get saved so I can die in peace. No. Just take love on them. Take the time, care for them. Show them God's love through action. And, and see what God's doing. He's faithful. And the biggest thing, pray. Sit down and, God, show me how to love this child you gave me. You gave me this um, less than intelligent being for a person. <laughs> Why did you have to give him my DNA? I thought I was stubborn. Yeah, no, sometimes you think that. But, um, gosh, we've got to love kids. They reveal so much about us sometimes. But you, you sit there and you look at it and you realize, you know, how, how can you be efficient? If you had a year left, how would you live your life? Are you ready? Are you ready as a mother, as a child? What would you do? What would you instill in your kids? How would you? What would be the best thing to spend your time? What would you spend the rest of today doing? Forget the rest of the week. And you'd find out, well, if you're the king of your life and the Lord of your life, you're going to mess it up, and you'd still have to put God on the throne and do what he says. Why? Because he loves your kids more than you to begin with. So you disagree with that, get over it. It's the truth. And so as we sit there and we look at this and he sits there and you see these things as these men go and you see them pulled out and, and God preserves them from the judgment to come and he says, hey, look at your hearts. And again, you know, over all theology, be ready. And he says, he kind of reinforces this. He says, verse 33, whosoever seeks his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So if you are a prepper and you are getting ready for end times, okay, and you are going to make it through the end times and everything else, right, I would just like you to read this verse again with me. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, or for his life, will preserve it. So what does that mean if you're going to apply that? You're a prepper. Stop preparing, and next time you see... The judgment's coming. You better run straight at them until it takes you out, is what it sounds like to me. Don't save food. You need to get your running shoes on and run straight at whatever's coming at you. Because that seems totally backwards, doesn't it? No, because it's not talking about in that day when he comes in that sense. It's talking about our heart. It's not talking about a physical thing, right? Doesn't that make it real clear? Lot's wife was a heart issue. This is a heart issue. It's not preparing to survive the end of the world. And when we look at these things and you go through it, because Jesus doesn't clarify this as post-trib, mid-trib, or post any of that. He clarifies being ready. But when we go through our church doc statement here of belief, it says, hey, we're pre-trib. And I've thought about, is that even important to have on it? Do I want to rearrange that is, and say, we're not necessarily pre-trip, post-trip. We are always be ready. That's our doctrinal statement, ultimately, right? The problem is what's happened in the past, why that statement has been important, 
because for those of you who weren't around through most of the 80s in the church, everybody ran around. There were so many uh, prophecy conferences, Chuck, Chuck Missler and all these things, and people were what? We're going to wait and we've got to see the Antichrist. We weren't, they weren't looking for Jesus anymore. We're looking for the Antichrist so we can be ready for when the return of Christ comes. And they got off and they're in this and look and see the coin from, from the EU and that's the mark of the beast and that's what she looks like and see the scripture and this and this and she's coming back on, and then he's got this. And, and you sit there and they could talk to you, you know. And you get to church, oh yeah, man, I got some tapes for you to listen on this. You got to, you know, there. Nothing about being ready. It's about, you know, finding out, you know, and looking, your focus is on the Antichrist coming and the signs and the times and, and oh, that sounds like things you're going to observe. And oh, over here and over there, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like what we're learning in Scripture, what the Bible says about being ready all the time. And so that's the danger, and that's where that kind of doctrinal statement, where churches started putting that in their doctrinal statement real clear about the timing of those things. And so for us this morning, though, as we go through, and it says to be ready, you know, the disciples were expecting his coming even back then. In verse 34, and it says, I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in bed. Right? One will be taken, and the other one will be left. Okay? Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken, and one will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and one will be left. So you have some sleeping, some working, right? And some in a field. Again, the earth is round because you have some sleeping at that time when it happens. You know, unless they're lazy, right? Some working and some out in the field working. Grinding would usually happen in the cool of the day, in the evening or morning, right? Working in the field was more in the day and sleeping usually at night, right? And so, just kind of interesting that the world's round and we have all those, you know, the other side of the world, somebody's sleeping right now. So, well, and some people in here right now are sleeping too. But, so if the rapture had happened, you know, somebody might wake up and the person next to you might be gone. But you look at this and you see, you know, one will be gone. In the case of Moses, in the case of Lot, they knew judgment were coming. The righteous were prepared, okay? The preparation here is in the heart. It's not in any action. Because we're going to go about our day and one person who we know as a believer is going to be raptured, taken, uh, received, whatever term you want to use because rapture isn't in the Bible. Well, it's a term. It's what we call this event, right? Is going to happen and there's going to be one person there who's going, they're, they're both going to be going about their lives the same. How can both of them be going about their lives the same if one had some foreknowledge? Again, if I know the rapture's coming, at least that day I'm taking off work. Ladies, are you going to be doing the dishes and making bread? I mean, only unless your kids aren't saved, you're going to be leaving a note. You're like, bye, catch you later. I, I don't know. I'm not going to be doing any of that, right? If I know. And so the, here you have this event that happens, and it's unexpected for the believer and the unbeliever. And so... At the same time, they both go, and, and at uh, First uh, Thessalonians, if you want to turn there, let's turn to First Thessalonians 4.15, right? Because it, it shares about this event and how we kind of see it, what we call the rapture or, or the, um, the catching up in the air in that sense. It says in Thessalonians 4, verse, or First 
Thessalonians 4, verse 15, it says, For this is this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive remain until the coming of the Lord. Will no means precede those who are asleep. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will raise first and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so when we come to scripture and we see this event where there is this immediate unknowing boom, thief in a night, not knowing the day or the hour event happening, right? But then yet you say, there's going to be a lightning bolt and God's return and it's going to be obvious. The lion is coming. Well, he meets us up in the air. He doesn't touch down as he talks about when he comes and he lands and, and puts his foot back on the ground there in, in the Valley of Ghetto and, and in, in Jerusalem. This is a separate event from what we can see in Scripture and what we can understand. Okay, I'm not going to say that 100%, but 99% of, sure, this is a separate event of being caught up in the air to meet him. You know, and some say, well, we're meeting him on the way back, so we're going to meet him right before he touches. Okay, but it's going to come as a surprise. He's going to come, and there's going to be the shout we're going to hear, and we, we go. And so when you look at all the Scripture, it's clear there's two events. There's, there's two different aspects to the return of Christ. And, and, and a, when you put them together, it goes, okay, something's not lining up here. How can one man be sitting there and one man being this and one man's gone if he knows it's coming, right? It, it doesn't line up. What, what appears to line up for me, and as I look at Scripture, is a pre-trib view with all of Scripture. When you look at all of Scripture and you see this thief in the night thing and you see this event happening, it goes, okay, that seems to make sense that it comes this way and then we return with him at that time. And so we sit there and we see this, this happen and we're told. So again, if, if you see a temple built in Jerusalem, right, and you see this peace tree, I'm not going to miss that. If you see a man who stands up and declares himself to be God in the temple, and the Jewish people reject him and the whole war breaks out again. And you see the nations rise up, which looks like Russia and Turkey and the whole area of, of South, that area of Asia go after Israel. I mean, yeah, 200 years ago, you could go, yeah, we wouldn't have known until how long would it have took to find out these countries are attacking it. Nowadays, with the technology, we're all going to know pretty quick. It's not like the news is going to take a while to get to us. And so... It's interesting to see and you look at these things, but the thing is, be ready. Be ready. Isn't that going to be a little freaky that, you know what I mean, you're going to be here and then you're not? I mean, a little freaky than a blessing. I mean, it's like, if you're having a bad day, it'd be awesome. Like, I'm out of here. And when I was young, I, I was more fearful of it now that I'm old, right? You get old, the body creaks. You're like, whoo, I want out of here. I want a new tent. New body, I can give this one up in a heartbeat. It's getting old, it's getting worn out. But you, you sit there and you look at it, it comes like a thief in a mind. A man does not know the day or the hour. And we see those things, but yet we see the total evidence of God returning where people are shuddering and hiding from him. 
And so you got to look at the scripture as a whole and go, okay, how does this fit? And again, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib, all those things, quarter-trib, we could all be wrong. Because guess what? Nowhere in the Bible does it explain, oh yeah, we're definitely raptured out here, definitely raptured out there. What it does say is what? Be ready. Be ready. Where's your heart at? Be ready. We're not supposed to go build arcs like Noah. You know, it's not going to be angels coming in the middle of the night telling you, run! Our hearts should be ready. It's going to happen suddenly. And so, in verse 37, the disciples sitting there, confused at all this, because, you know, they were such great scholarly men, they just had it all down. So in verse 32, he said, And they answered and said to them, Where, Lord? I'm thinking, didn't a little while ago, he's like, didn't you just hear what I said? You're going to say where and when, and when we're going to see this? And they respond with, Where? You ever tell your kids to do something? Can you go do this? Why? <laughs> Does it matter the why? Do I need to? I told you to do it, you know? Or better yet, you know what? I want you to do this, and I'm not going to tell you why. Okay, why? That's basically what they did. It's like, hmm, that was really interesting. Okay, so where is this going to happen, Lord? I just, okay, never mind. But, our Lord, being gracious, clears this up so clear for us right here, right? He said to them, wherever the body is, the eagles will be gathered together. So I know that just all solved it in your mind. It solved it in my mind. Whew. Glad he... No! <laughs> he kind of leaves this vague answer like, where the body is there? So they know they're going up to Jerusalem and stuff. And if I said, hey, there's going to be this event happen. There's going to be judgment coming. It's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That's what they heard. Wait, 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 wait. Noah's flood, that was, okay, that was a whole world. But now he talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife. Okay, we got Lot's wife. That happened over here. That place got wiped out over here. It's gone off the map. Okay, where is this going to happen? Because if you don't tell me when, but I know when we're walking there, right? If I said, hey, this great event's going to happen in Modesto, and you're going to be with me there. I don't need to know the when anymore. I just know every time I go to Modesto, we might have this problem, you know? I think that's what their thinking was in this situation. So Jesus answered and said, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And this saying is kind of put together. It's kind of like the eagles or, if you would, vultures, right? What, what happens when birds of the air know something's ready to be picked on and eaten? Well, it's dead and started to stink. There's enough flies around it, and they understand. It ain't crawling. It ain't going to hurt us. We're going to go down and pick it apart. And really, that's what the Lord's saying here is, oh, you want to know where? Well, wait until you see this rotting corpse, this body. It'll be obvious when I'm coming back. There's going to be this rotting corpse. And in Revelation, I think, uh, 4 to 19 or something, it talks about that. It talks about there will be all the kingdoms of the earth and all the men of the earth and all their horses and chariots that came out against the Lord in the day of the Lord, right? And they're all going to die, and the birds of the air are going to feast on their flesh. Sounds familiar? And that's what he's kind of here. It's like, when it happens, when I come back, and I am come back as a lion of Judah, nobody's, it's going to be obvious, okay? When that time comes, you're asking where, it, like I said, lightning in the sky, hello, you're not going to miss that, right? It, it's going to be obvious. And even though then you can start to see something when it's unhealthy, right? You ever meet somebody that's dying of something? It's usually pretty obvious. You know, especially if it's a long-term illness. 
Okay, you ever see a nation dying of something? Has it ever been more evident? I mean, is right wrong and right, you know, the rights and the wrongs and the this and the, you know, the sad things of, of the world and the bathrooms and, the, you know, which I feel sorry for you ladies. I really do. I've been in men's restrooms all my life. And now there isn't a men's restroom. Now it's at everybody's restroom. And they've taken out the, the, the wall-mounted urinal. So what that means now is every woman has to walk in and use a men's dirty toilet. That's what's happened. That's the reality of what's happened in our society. And I would be outraged as a woman going, wait a minute. I do not want to be using that toilet. Thank you. So there's my little pet peeve lately with that. I just, I'm a man. I can deal with it. I don't think my wife and daughter, daughters should have to at all. So anyways, pet peeve. But when you sit down and you look at scripture and you can go through there and go, okay, yeah, I kind of more pre-trib, post-trib. But the ultimate thing, it doesn't matter. Be ready. Be ready to go. Live as you're ready to go. And many times we can get so distracted by the things of this world, and Jesus is saying, be ready for this. It's going to come. This time is going to happen. And the last thing I want to be doing is laying in a situation on my deathbed or at that moment going, oh, it's happening. It's now, even if I got a split second, it says it happens in a twinkle of an eye, but even if I had a split second, it would be, wait, I didn't share with, I forgot to, oh, I was going to, like one person at work, I should have shared the gospel too, and I forgot, and I didn't get to that point. God's going to be faithful in those things, but I don't want to have that point. And how do you live that way? You live that way because you're seeking the Holy Spirit each and every day. And there are many things that Tim wants to do for the Lord that God says no, and he's going to take care of. And there's many areas I fail at, time-wise, that I don't listen to God, that I rely on his grace for. But those things are all yesterday, and today I'm supposed to wake up and obey and do what he's called me to do each and every day. And that's as simple as it is. So, men, obey God today. Love your family and do as he commands you to do and ask for wisdom because we're so smart on how to love our family because we, you know, us men are so in touch with our feelings. We're so aware of everything. We like, you know, just like, you know, my wife, you know, she goes... You know, such and such is having a bed. No, they're not. They're fine. No, I think they're having a bed. No, they're fine. They'll be okay. You know? Ah, it's just a little cut. They only lost a couple toes. They'll be okay. Anyways, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you first and foremost that you are our Father, that we can call you Father, that you've saved us from all our sins, shortcomings, and failures. God, we thank you that you have equipped us to be and you give us everything we need to be to be the men you've called us to be. Help us to be ready and in our hearts, God, that we live lives ready, that we, we can lead our families in being ready for your return by example, Father, in our hearts. God, that you would just be the King and Lord of our lives and that would be evident to all those around us. We thank you for the children you've given us and the children you add into our lives each and every day and those um, just people we're able to influence, Father, with your love and care about, Father, and uh, just cry with and share with God. 
We just thank you for who you are. God, we pray, um, just pray for Al, God, give him peace, give him rest. God, we pray for his children that you would just open their eyes. God, that you would be faithful in just revealing yourself to him. But just give Al peace, Father, that you are working, that you know this day and this hour, and that you love his kids. In Jesus' name, amen.